Good morning, and thank you so very much for the invitation to be with you to worship and to read Holy Scripture and to bring you the gospel of our Lord. Would you please rise for the reading of Holy Scripture? And our reading this morning is in Paul's letter to the Philippians, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 3, and reading through until chapter 4, verse 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to begin this morning by inviting you to use your imaginations. I'm going to go back to an old film that many of you have probably seen, know about. If you're like me, you appreciate it. And perhaps for some of you, never seen it, don't know about it. Uh, The film is called Chariots of Fire. And it's the story of the 1924 British track team at the Paris Olympics, almost 100 years ago next year. And in this story, there's one particular runner who's a Scot by the name of Eric Little, and he loves the Lord. And in this particular movie, and I'll refer to it again a little bit later in the message this morning, they have a scene towards the end of the movie 
in the 400-meter race, one lap around the track, and as he comes down the final straightaway, he sees the finish line right before him, and he drives to the finish line, and he crosses, and he wins the gold medal, and he set a world record of just a shade over 47 seconds. That's like four 100-meter dashes done in less than 12 seconds per 100 meters. Any of you runners out there know 400 meters is a tough race. And in this movie, you get to see a little bit more deeply what motivates the man to be who he is and to do and to run the way he does. And that brings me to our text this morning. Because if you're like me, you know how difficult it can be to persevere in the race of life. And especially when adversity makes us think that we're not running, we're not even walking. Sometimes we're just stumbling through life and we're saying, is there not somebody who can just help me through this? Isn't there somebody who can grip me and hold me and carry me? And that's the beauty of what we're going to look at here in Philippians. Because you can understand this whole passage under one short phrase. Oh, Lord Jesus, please grip us that we might grip you. And the beauty of it is Jesus does grip you so that you can hold on and run with him. Now, in this passage, of course, we're seeing the relationship that God wants with you, with me, with us. The relationships he wants with one another and the kind of relationships he wants us as his people to live out and about with our neighbor and society in this city. Now, as we follow Christ, one of the things that's so obvious here, but so important and easily forgotten is that we're all his work in progress. Verses 12, 13, and 14 put it this way. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the context of this letter is really important. It's written around 60 or 61 AD, and this is a very rough patch for the church, for Christianity in the Roman Empire. Paul is actually writing this letter from prison in Rome, and he's writing to a small church, maybe about 100 members, in a town of about mm, 10, perhaps 12,000 people, Philippi, way up in northern Greece, almost on what we would call today's Bulgarian border. And that's a town where the Christians are having a hard go of it. Because emperor worship is very important there. There are multiple idols, and the Christians are simply saying, we want to be good citizens here, but we can't worship the idols, and we can't worship Caesar as God. We have one God and Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And you all know, and we all know, at least I do anyway, perhaps it's your situation as well, that when we're trying to run the race of life as disciples of Christ, we often have mixed motives. 
sometimes our motives are very worthy and very highly placed. At other times, not so much. And we can see the selfishness and the self-centeredness of our, our motives. And we know that if everything depended on our integrity, our authenticity, our success, well, we'd be soon pretty discouraged, if not depressed. But Paul, using this same image of running the race, of striving towards the goal, of seeing the finish line, of going towards that finish line, says, ah, but I've already been grabbed. Jesus has already grabbed me. He's already gripped me. And the prize is not mine, it's God's prize, and he's giving it to me through his son, and Jesus is actually calling me to receive the gift of God's prize. And so he's saying, we rely on Jesus, not on our strength. He actually grips you so tightly that you are then enabled to run the race in his hands with his power, with his goodness. He's sufficient for the race. See, it doesn't depend on the power of your faith, finally, but rather on the power of your Lord who is risen and alive and who gives you the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised him from the dead. I'll go back to the Chariots of Fire film Imagination again. If you've seen that last clip, you will know that the director slows it down into slow motion, right? And he's running, and the music, the theme music comes on, and his head flies back, and the wind is going through his hair, and his mouth opens. And then they put in this clip that he had already said earlier. And he says, he's a Scot, right? And so he he says, you hear him saying, but God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure, right? I just feel his pleasure. He's made me to run fast. And when I run fast, I feel his pleasure. And then he blows across the finish line. Jesus calls you and me to persevere by giving you his pleasure so that you can feel the pleasure that he has in you, the joy that he has in you, the same pleasure he has in his son he has in you, the same joy he has in his son he has in you, and he wants you to experience his joy. But you know, Following Jesus and running his race is not just an individual sprint. It's a team event. It really is a relay. It's a team race. We're all in this together. We all run this race together. And that's Paul's point in verses 15, 16, and 17, that those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. He moves to the plural here. We. We 
are called to encourage one another to have an attitude that says this, Jesus is our greatest joy. But there's a little bit of a caution here. Paul is saying, we haven't yet arrived. In other words, this is progressive. This is ongoing. This is a work in progress. Have you ever felt frustrated when you jump in your car, you have to get somewhere, you haven't checked Waze or some other app that, you know, normally would be helpful, and you get stuck in an unexpected construction zone, and there are orange cones everywhere, and orange signs? I don't like that. Maybe you don't either. I like everything to be done, everything to be clean, everything to be simple, The roads are well paved, the directions are marked, there are no traffic jams and certainly no orange cones. But you know, the church of Christ, your congregation, my congregation, we're all construction zones with lots of orange cones. I know, we really are, but we're safe because you're forgiven. You've been forgiven by Jesus. And because you're forgiven, we're all learning how to forgive one another because we've been so joyfully and wonderfully forgiven. And we're all a work in progress. I sometimes wonder, you know, there used to be a time when we would have what was called the Christian flag, but I I often think that the Christian flag should be just a white sheet because we're all forgiven, clean. But there should be a big orange cone right in the middle because it's all a wonderful work in progress We know where we're going because God knows where he's going with us. We're moving ahead. You are actually progressing in your life in Christ together and individually. But uh, the best is yet to come, and one day it will be finished, and there'll be no more cones. Promise. So that means that there are going to be times when you will be strong, and in the strength that Christ gives you, you'll be able to help others who are not and who are going through a bad time, and who are discouraged. And then you will go through discouragement, and you will go through a bad time, and the very person that you helped when they were down will come and actually help you, and encourage you, and sustain you. And that's really marvelous, but it's a little counterintuitive and a little bit countercultural, because at least where we are in Montreal, perhaps the same here in Rochester, we put a lot of emphasis on making my identity. Each one of us has to make my identity, develop my identity, because fundamentally, the only true identity is the one that I give myself. I don't need society. I don't need other people. I certainly don't need God. If I can give myself my identity, that's the true identity. That's the deep identity. That's the real identity. That's what makes me a whole woman, a whole man. The Christian looks at life very differently, and it really is quite countercultural in many ways. We say, actually, our life is a gift. Our, Our life has been given by God. And not only that, Jesus has come and gripped us when our life was broken and in pieces. And he grips us with his mercy. And he grips us with his forgiveness. And he gives us all of himself. And he takes all of my shame and all of my failure, and he gives back 
all of his success and all of his righteousness and all of his holiness, and he makes me whole. He makes us whole. It's, it's all coming from him, and yet it's all supported by one another. And so our identity comes from who we are in Christ and the life and the personality and the gifts that he's given us individually, but also all the encouragement and the support and the strength that we receive from one another. Oh, this is an identity that goes very, very deeply. It's very rich. It's much, much more whole and much more complex and much more beautiful than simply, I make my identity the way I want to make my identity. But this kind of identity that is so rich and, and so beautiful and so powerful takes time. God is not in a hurry because he's doing something so beautiful in your lives. And so we don't need to be in a hurry either. But following Jesus as a team doesn't mean that everything always goes well. In verses 18 and 19, Paul puts it this way, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It's difficult to know here um, what Paul is saying exactly. Is he talking about some folks in the church in Philippi, or is he talking more generally? Difficult to know. But what he seems to be saying is this. There are folks who have called themselves in the past Christians, but have proven that they never were. And it just brings tears to my heart and tears to my eyes, even as I think about this and write it out for you right now. Because obviously, he's saying, there are two things that have gone awry. There are two beliefs that are way off. One is, some are saying, I don't need the forgiveness that Jesus gives through his cross. I don't need the cross. And the second thing that seems way off here is that the belief that this world and this life, the way it is, is all there is. And, and this is not something that we've sort of outgrown today. Where we live, um, it's very common to have discussions with men and women who say, Jesus is a good guy. He really is. But he's one of many. There, there are many ways to live. There are many ways to be whole human beings. There are way, many ways to be authentic and fulfilled. And, and Jesus is certainly one among many, but he's not the only one. Or sometimes you get the view that says this world and the life that we have right now is really the only one. That's it. What you see is what you get. There, there's nothing more. There's nothing greater. There's nothing deeper. And Paul is saying, this is just so sad. It is so sad. It brings tears to my life, to my heart, and to my life. It's like a, a world that God has given, and you've just shrunken it. Just, you know, it's like you put your very best shirt or blouse 
beautiful color, beautiful texture, beautiful. And you put it in and you forget, uh-oh, it's in hot water. And you bring it out and all the color is faded out and it's just shrunk to nothing. It's virtually useless. It's so sad. It's, it's a shrunk and joyless life. And one that never knows the true depth and beauty and joy of forgiveness in God. See, when you say, I have no need for the cross, if you think about it, you're really saying, there really is no good and evil. There's no right or wrong. There's no holiness or wickedness. There really isn't. If you say we don't need the cross, even if we do think there's goodness and badness, we'll just grit through it. We'll overcome it. But if there's no forgiveness necessary, then there's no forgiveness needed. And if there's no forgiveness needed by God, you have no way to forgive others who hurt you. No way at all. And no way to ask others to forgive you for the hurt that they've caused you. If there's no cross, folks, that's just the way it is. It's neither good nor bad. Tough. And if there's no eternal life, then death triumphs over life. If there is no eternal life, death is the final word. And everything is absurd. And where we live, heavily influenced by French philosophers who say, life is absurd. Why bother? And sometimes, folks who feel the pressure of those two things will say, well, Jesus is good, and he's a good example. But living for Jesus and living the way Jesus wants us to live here is a fairy tale. And fairy tales are great when you're a kid, when you're a child. That's good for children. But now I'm an adult, and I have to give myself a real identity, a real adult identity that takes into account all of my aspirations, all of my goals, all of my sexuality, everything that I am, I have to give myself not a fairy tale identity, but an adult identity. You may know the work, you may have read, you may have seen the films from J.R.R. Tolkien, for example, Lord of the Rings. What you may not know is that Tolkien wrote a little book in 1947 called The Fairy Tale. He was an expert in fairy tales. He was a professor of literature at Oxford University. And here's what he says about fairy tales. I'm just giving you sort of the synopsis of the whole book. Fairy tales are for adults, not for children. Because fairy tales talk about real life. Fairy tales talk about worlds that the authors invent because they are true reflections of a much more vast and profoundly deeper reality created by none other than God himself. Fairy tales are true because they depict the real true battle between truth and falsehood, between goodness and wickedness, where God sends his Redeemer to win that battle forever because none of us can. We're all overwhelmed. And Tolkien says, and I'll leave you with this one to ponder, the greatest sign of the fairy tale is 
joy. The greatest sign of the fairy tale is joy. Just like Paul says here, joy. When we go through adversity, and we all do, when you will go through adversity, and you will, ask Jesus to do what he's already doing. Grip you, hold you, keep you, empower you. And I'll end with verses 20 right through to chapter 4, verse 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If you're here today and you're really attracted by Jesus, but you still don't like Christianity and you have a hard time with the church and what the church is and has been over history, I get that, I understand that. But I'd just like to take you back to Tolkien's comment for a moment. You see, every single local church like this one is actually an embassy. You're actually an embassy of the far greater, the far deeper, and the far more beautiful world. You're like a light, and the light of that world shines through you into this very world now. You see, the king of the greater world has already come into this world. That's the whole point of a fairy tale. That's the whole point of the real, real life, the true life. And the same king comes into this world now, and he's already begin, beginning to exercise his redeeming, restoring, transforming power, love, beauty, depth, now in this world. But it's only in part. It's a work in progress. And one day that king will come to the final battle, which he's already won in his resurrection. And he is giving you now the same power that raised him from the dead then. And his work in progress is becoming more and more joyful, more and more beautiful more and more deep and his power of grace and forgiveness is infinitely greater than sin and death and this is why we as christians are so committed to making this present life better now this is why we want better schools this is why we want better government. This is why we want better hospitals. This is why we want better relationships in our society, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our families. Because the life to come has already begun. Because the king is here. But the way he works out his joy through you in life today is the way of the cross. We lose sometimes, 
And we have to own responsibility for our own sin and confess it clearly, honestly, openly. We don't do this with weapons and coercion. We do it with prayer and the Word of God. So I'll close by asking this question. How can we encourage each other to give joyfully, to serve joyfully, and even to suffer joyfully? And Paul answers it in the text I just read there. He says, dear friends, hang in there. (laughs) That's what he says. Hang in there. Be, stay united with Christ who loves you so dearly. So how do we let Jesus grip us? He already does grip us, but how, how do we live in the experience and the joy of him gripping us individually and together? And his answer is really quite surprising, I think, but it shouldn't be. He says, by forgiving each other promptly, deeply, genuinely, even to the point of forgiving your enemies. He says, um, let's help our two sisters here, Um, Yudake and Sintiki. They're having some sort of a squabble. It's not going well. Let's help them forgive one another and move on. These two ladies with Lydia probably started the church in Philippi. You know, it was a four-man team who came, from what we know, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. But they were meeting God-fearing women just outside the city. Maybe these two and Lydia, these are probably the founders of the church. They have big status in this congregation. And the fact that they have some things going against each other, that's pretty serious. And Paul is saying, let's love them and help them and encourage them to forgive one another. And he says, faithful colleague, help, let's help do this. Is it Luke? Is it Silas? I don't know. Probably a member of that team of four. And then Clement and the others. We're all partners in Jesus' forgiveness. We're all partners in forgiving one another. So when you feel Jesus' pleasure in you, you will want that you will want that pleasure to grip so so many more and you will want to bring reconciliation into those relationships that are not yet healed you will and you want to do it well and deeply with beauty with joy with gentleness because you know how much Jesus loves you and how much joy he has in forgiving you. And when we face failure and adversity in our jobs, in our professions, in our relationships, in society, wherever it might be, we still want others to know and experience his pleasure, his forgiveness, his grace, the joy that we have received. We want others to experience that joy as well. The joy that we're seeking more and more to practice among ourselves, well, we want that to kind of spill out into our city, into our neighborhood. With courageous hearts, they're not afraid to speak the truth and to live the truth, but who are not afraid to do it either with a gentle and winsome spirit. So let Jesus carry you. 
Let him carry you. He loves you. Through the adversity, trust him for a courage that is so deep that you'll be free to have a gentle and winsome heart and speech. Oh, Lord Jesus, you truly do grip us with your joy so that we might joyfully grip you. This is the word of God. Amen.